All right, we're on. So, this is the Sustainability Review Podcast. TSR is an online publication that shares sustainability perspectives from graduate and undergraduate scholars, scientists, and practitioners from across many disciplines. I'm again your host, Andrew Hudson. I'm back this month with no co-host, but two awesome guests, grad students from here at the ASU School of Sustainability, Marley Halter and Sarah Tekola. Can uh, you each say hi? Hi. Hi. (laughs) So uh, Marley is actually the current editor-in-chief of TSR, but she and Sarah are on today to talk about another project they've been working on, a proposal for Arizona an Arizona carbon fee and dividend legislation, which they are planning a a panel event in connection with next month. So this is being organized by an ASU student group called Sustainable Changemakers. So, okay, uh, Marley, Sarah, can you each uh, talk a little bit about yourselves and Sustainable Changemakers to start us off? Yeah, sure. So uh, like you said, my name is Marley Halter. I'm the editor-in-chief for the Sustainability Review. But I'm also a Master of Arts student in the School of Sustainability at ASU. And my research is primarily actually in food systems um, and community development, but I wear many hats at ASU. So I'm also interested in sustainable communication and journalism, hence the sustainability review position. Um, And I'm also part of Sustainable Changemakers, where uh, we're basically an environmental activism student group here on campus. Um, that's mostly made up of grad students, but we have a few undergrads from from other departments as well. So, yeah. So my name is Sarah, a second year PhD student uh, in the School of Sustainability, and um, I started uh, Sustainable Changemakers because um, really the what drew me to the School of Sustainability uh, was this. Um, drive for applied work and uh, the connection to the community. Um, But I didn't find a lot of outlets for that. And so um, that's why I created uh, Sustainable Changemakers. Um, And and, uh, one of the things we say, we're we're bringing the science to the sidewalks. Um, And so um, really um, trying to uh, use all the knowledge that we learn here in the School of Sustainability uh, in our community and how can we take this knowledge and actually directly impact people's lives. Yeah, so we've had a few projects that we've worked on over the past year with Sara as our fearless leader. Um, we've done some divestment campaigns with ASU and the city of Tempe. Um, what are some of the other projects we've um, So uh, one of the things we, uh, we co-led the ASU March for Science and um, one of the things that uh, I always push in any, uh, I don't find national marches to be very effective um, unless you have local demands. And so that's one of the things that we pushed really hard for was a local demand. And one of our local demands uh, was uh, for Tempe to go 100% renewable. Um, and uh, now they are, uh, and we can't really take full credit for that. But, um, you know, it's about putting um, the pressure uh, on, um, 
on the politicians. It's about um, creating the drive and demand um, for these issues. Um, and so uh, we kind of uh, do a variety of things. And other thing is about showing up. Uh, one of the first, very first things we did was show up uh, when uh, the Sacred Oak Flats um, was having an event um, trying to protect indigenous land because um, we understand that uh, indigenous sovereignty is part of uh, environmental protection and that when you protect environmental uh, indigenous sovereignty that you also protect uh, land. So um, this is kind of a part of, we, we do um, have an environmental justice focus. We do, when we look at these issues, try to look at um, who is most impacted and are making sure that any solution that we put forward um, address those who are most impacted. Awesome. And I will fully give you credit for Tempe going 100% renewable. <laughs> I think that is, that's fair to do on this podcast. Uh, so, uh, amazing. Let's dive into this project, but also zoom out. We're talking about carbon fees and dividends. What's a carbon fee? What's a dividend? What does this matter for sustainability? Can you just sort of walk us through the basics? Marley, you want to lead us? Yeah, so... Well, we, we have many projects that we've worked on with sustainable change makers, um, but one of the ones that we decided to take on, um, we had some students that were interested in renewable energy um, and energy policy on a more broad scale. And so we started looking into what would it take, just pie in the sky, what would it take to put a carbon tax or something of that nature in, in the state level? Um, and we started looking into like, the Citizens Climate Lobby, CCL, does this on a national level for the United States. So they have lots of resources out there where you can go find information about carbon tax, but they call theirs uh, carbon pricing more broadly about putting a, a tax on people who emit greenhouse gases, specifically carbon dioxide, because that ultimately leads to global warming and climate change, etc. Um, so Car Citizens Climate Lobby puts this, uh, or aims to put this on at a national level, but we were interested more on how do we bring it more local. Like Sara was saying, one of the things, national marches and national uh, legislation and stuff like that is really hard to put into place and to make it effective. And so trying to get it on a state level we thought would be a much more effective route to take, but it turns out that it's also more difficult in some ways. So. Um, yeah, so so why a carbon fee as opposed to banning a particular type of, of fuel or uh, subsidizing a particular type of technology or energy? How is this supposed to function as a, as a way to change the dynamic of how, what we're doing to the atmosphere and to our environment generally? So uh, I'll say first with the caveat that, um, you know, I'm not a fan of market-based solutions. Uh, I think that the market in large part, you know, created the problem. However, we are still in a market-based system. And, and like I said before about our, our uh, vision towards justice, um, we can't, if we were to, for example, put a ban instead of uh, putting a price on carbon, um, 
a lot of people would lose their jobs. And when you look at whose jobs, who are the drivers, the truck drivers, the taxi drivers, you're looking at mostly low-income um, immigrant communities. And uh, when you look at how that would, the ripples that would put through the economy, um, it, w it would target um, like the low-income and lower-middle-class uh and so when we think about how we can transition, we also have to think about how we can transition justly. And so that's what um, I, I see a carbon fee and dividend or a carbon tax or a cap and trade or any of these other uh, market-based uh, strategies to address carbon. as kind of a band-aid for a system or a bridge. Um, and so what it does is in the meantime, while we're in this market-based system, what it will allow us to do is... Um, essentially uh, put a price on that which we want to that which we don't want we don't want carbon and yet we are so our society is so addicted to it that um, our their entire economy uh, relies on it and so how do we start to remove it um, without crashing the economy and l making a bunch of people lose their jobs and so uh, by putting a price on carbon what you can do is um, get people to slowly start to wean off of it similar to the way that they got people to wean off of cigarettes by taxing them and so uh, uh, you put this price on it, and then when uh, what you do with that revenue is also really important because that is part of the transition. We're going to put the price on carbon, and then how do we help it uh, support the transition? Now, this is where um, being living in a red state, uh, it gets kind of tricky because uh, the best way when you put a price on carbon, the best way is to put redistribute the money into uh high-speed mass transit and into renewable energy and to into low-income communities. Well, uh, in Arizona, they see mass transit as um, a communist scam. They see renewable energy as welfare energy, and they don't like poor people. So how do we have a just transition, put a price on carbon, and move us away when we're working, uh, when our leadership doesn't believe in any of the things that we need to transition into. And and so that's when we started looking at uh, kind of unique ways of uh, putting the money, um, redistributing the money. Right. So it's like a carrot and stick kind mm -hmm. of situation, right? Like, so you have the, just putting a straight ban would, like Sarah was saying, I mean, cause these huge ripple effects that we potentially don't even know the consequences of. <clears throat> but having just a little bit of a like slap on the wrist and then being able to go back and say, and here's some money that comes from, like you're getting taxed, but also this money will be able to go back into the local economy. It will support um, renewable energy, which you as the utility or the, the fuel company or whatever can start moving, transitioning towards supporting these renewable energies like solar in Arizona is a huge opportunity that's not being taken advantage of because it's not economically viable um, at the moment in the current system. And so this is a way to kind of transition that to be more economically viable. And the dividend, particularly, so the carbon fee is the tax part, where we put a price that slowly every year uh, increases the amount of tax that's put on the carbon. So over time, tr companies that aren't transitioning will be weeded out of the system. 
Um, and then the dividend part is, like Sarah was saying, what we do with the revenue is not necessarily put it, give it back to the government because those government um, programs just don't exist here in Arizona that support renewable energy or economic um, programs that are uh, socially just. So what we do is just literally give it straight back to the people. So there would be a check that goes out to every household every month that's just money that's coming from revenue from this dividend. And actually there's ways you can put it into a bank account, live up, I mean, people can, the, the dividend can come from the interest of that. And then the bank account, the money that's in the bank account can be used for um, government programs and so on. So there's lots of different ways to kind of structure that dividend, um, giving it back in terms of like uh, in, income tax, like returns, stuff like that. But the main point is that it's going straight back to the people. And actually we found that despite that sounds kind of socialist, right? But <laughs> but despite that, it's actually a libertarian like strategy. So a lot of Republicans actually like that because you're put, giving the money straight back to the people. Those people are going to go out and spend that money on something. And so it actually boosts the local economy. It's great for the, I guess, free market kind of mentality of people can spend their money on whatever they want. And that's where people are going to make profit and and hopefully that will be renewable energy and more environmentally friendly uh, practices. Yeah, I, I know in Alaska, uh, residents of Alaska get checks that are their dividends from the, the share of the state oil uh, interests, right? And uh, man, people love them, right? People love <laughs> just, money, right? They're, they're just like, yeah, this is totally mine. Like, right? it totally makes sense that, that I would be part of this. So, so um, interesting to sort of see that switch from uh, sort of getting your share in a public resource to kind of getting your share of uh, a, I guess, uh, de-incentivizing. Um, in a way... It is a public resource also because yeah. it's uh, clean air, right? And clean air is a public resource. So you're getting that that little piece of that, the revenue that's coming from making our atmosphere and the air we breathe a little cleaner. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think thinking about it in terms of thinking of, of CO2 as waste is a really interesting idea. And lots of companies that produce waste, they've got to pay to haul it off and dispose of it. But CO2, you can just vent into the air, but it's still a form of, of waste that is causing air pollution. Uh, on this one pager that you have, you, you note that uh, negative health and human uh, environmental impacts occur at each point in the carbon cycle from extraction to burning. And impacts include displacement of native peoples, loss of groundwater and groundwater contamination, aquifer damage, and deterioration, respiratory illness, lung, heart, thyroid disease, and of course, climate change. Um, Which has its own slew of <laughs> consequences. Yeah, society, so. yeah, that's the biggest. Uh, Something you might notice there is we're really focusing on the um, health impacts because the health impacts are um, the first to impact you. Um, as the CO2 goes into the air, you know, and the particulates with it, um, 
that immediately will start to cause the respiratory diseases, the cancer, the asthma. Um, whereas, you know, with the CO2, it's a, it's about a 25-year lag before um, we see the impacts of the CO2 um, once it hits the atmosphere. And um, unfortunately, uh, you know, humans are pretty uh, short-term thinking creatures. So uh, we found, especially with uh, those who don't believe or don't want to admit climate change is happening, uh, we can talk about um, the health impacts because even if you don't want to admit climate change is happening, um, we at least you know uh, you can't deny the asthma because the kids are coughing. You can't deny the cancer because you know the people are dying. And so the health impacts because they're more um, immediate uh, tend to and more of, local, right? Yeah, uh, they tend to kind of um, start to get people's attention more yeah. so than climate change. Yeah, I, and. You know, we're all sort of impacted on a climate change level from carbon being put out on the other side of the world. But the carbon, the the fossil fuels being burned in your community are the ones that are making you sick right. a lot of time, right? So uh, that definitely has an incentive to, to change things uh, here in, in Arizona. Which actually brings up a good point because the Navajo Nation particularly is really heavily impacted on uh, health-wise by the extraction of coal. Um, and the burning of coal in the Navajo Generating Station, which is a huge coal-fired power plant that's located in Navajo Nation um, in the northeastern part of Arizona. Um, and it's a place where we get a lot of our electricity from here in Arizona. But it's also a huge source of revenue and jobs for the Navajo people. And it's actually kind of shocking because if you go up there, they have this huge coal-fired power plant that where most of them work. And a lot of them live without electricity because that electricity is just getting shipped to mm. Phoenix and Tucson and these big cities um, where people are paying, the utilities are paying a lot of money for it. They're not even getting the, the benefits of getting the electricity, but yet they're getting all of the negative impacts of the coal being burned right in their backyard. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but another way that the dividend can actually kind of ease the... Um, negative the negative impacts that transition uh energy transition can have on indigenous communities is that they're gonna the navajo nation as well being citizens in the united states will get a check every month um so even though the navajo generating station that supports their community their in the economics of their community so heavily um may get shut down it's actually be in the process of getting shut down right now anyway but <clears throat> the dividend can actually support their community and help them transition until they can find a new way of making revenue. Um, so it can be like a kind of source of universal income yeah. is what we've been calling it, especially which can be especially helpful in those really, really impoverished communities like indigenous ones. So um, just sort of some, some brass tax here. I'm looking at your sheet. Who will be taxed? Gasoline wholesalers, natural gas and coal distributors, electric utilities. And then the tax will sort of then affect uh, secondary scope emitters like trucks and other industries. Is that any, anything to add? So uh, it kind of depends on where we put the tax, and that kind of depends on um, whatever legislator yeah, of uh, 
decides to um, pick this up uh, <laughs> when they do. Uh, and so um, we've kind of played with a few different things. Um, but one of the issues that uh, we're struggling with is um, in the Constitution, there's the Interstate Commerce Clause. And so uh, that says that states aren't allowed to regulate commerce that are going from another state um, through states. Uh, so that means that we can't actually put a uh, tax on um, uh, like wholesale providers that are coming from out of state. Um, but we know that we can put it on the utilities. Uh, and so uh, that kind of depends on where, again, the, the it depends on where we put it and how holistic that we are in the carbon tax. And... Um, that will depend ultimately on um, whichever legislator that we end up working with. Yeah, so so let's talk a little bit about uh, that process. And so how has this project uh, taken this policy proposal and tried to bring it into the Arizona political policy, uh, you know, considerations? Yeah, so... Actually, there's lots of examples of carbon legislation that has been taken on in on the national level in other parts of the world. So like Australia, for example, actually for a couple of years had a really successful carbon fee and dividend policy in place. Then they had a change of political party in power and then it got written out of law. But for the two years that it was in place, it was really successful. Um, and it basically is exactly what Citizens Climate Lobby is pushing for at the national level in the U.S., um, which they haven't gained any traction. So, <clears throat> um, and that's because, mostly I would say, probably because of Republican... Um, what's the word? Dependence Dep on yeah, big on, oil, on from, fossil fuel company. Yeah, fossil fuels, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but like British Columbia, I'm sure uh, you've heard of like Canada's, they are really, really heavily dependent on petroleum um, export exporting fossil fuels and yet British Columbia has a carbon tax a carbon fee and dividend policy in place so it can be done um, yeah so so what I have is the process now to sort of write a piece of legislation that's sort of a framework that you can then hand to a legislator and be like hey you know we've done most of the work for you is the process to go out and and have meetings with legislators and try to be like we need you to champion this is, it, is this a lobbying effort? Is this a think tanking effort? How, what is the, the sort of the, so, uh, the angle? It's kind of twofold. So um, I've worked on um, carbon taxes in other states, uh, mostly in, in Washington State. Uh, Washington State is a liberal state. Um, we were doing things a lot differently. And when I came here, I seen the efforts that were being done were being done in the same way that they were being done in Washington State. And the policy looked the same as it did in Washington State and California. This is not Washington, this is not California, this is not the West Coast. Uh, this is a conservative state. And um, this is kind of an issue I see with a lot of um, liberal organizations is uh, they don't change their message even when they're not in power. And uh, that's unfortunate because, um, you know, uh, as much as I don't uh, agree um, with th those who are in power uh, in our state capital. 
those who are in power. And so if we don't try to speak to that, speak to those in power, it's not going to go anywhere. So initially we were working um, with uh, a liberal policymaker and uh, we found that if we were to go forward with this, it would actually kill it. Um, and so we decided to try something new. Uh, we decided to try to uh, frame this bill in a way that um, conservatives would pick it up um, and talk about the economic impacts and focus on that. And that uh, if they don't believe in climate change, that's fine. We can make an economic argument. And so uh, we've been kind of experimenting with this um, and just trying to basically um, reframe it and repackage it because uh, the reality is uh, if we don't, we're not going to be successful uh, if, unless we start. We either, either we change who is in power, which you know, I know there's good efforts in doing that, uh, but in the meantime, uh, if we want to get policy passed, we got to change the way that we're talking about it. So that's um, in part why uh you know this is a carbon fee and dividend it's not a carbon tax because you're not going to pass a carbon tax with uh conservatives um and that's just one of the many things that um we're doing focusing on the health impacts instead of the climate change mm -hmm. impacts um and so that we're really trying to change the messaging um employing things from communication and psychology uh to uh and marketing to uh create a new audience for this work yeah. so to answer your question it's both right so we're we're having to lobby even to get heard even to get to talk to republicans we have to talk to everyone they know and kind of weasel our way in and so we're kind of lobbyists in that sense but also we want to really work with them to put together a feasible policy because what's the point if we're if the goal is not to get it passed and made into law um, and so when we first started this process, everyone was like, you're crazy. This is never going to work here. Um, it'll be a miracle if you even get it heard on the on the floor of the legislature. And um, we're like, no, we want to make it a law. We want it to pass. So how do we, you know, push past those doubts and really make it work? Um, so I think we've yeah. done a good job. <laughs> so we're working on um, the, f the framework of, of the legislation, but we don't want to have it completely finished and bring it to them because um, we do want them to take some amount of ownership of it. Um, that being said, uh, it it kind of um, will depend on, kind of, depending on who decides to take it up, will shape the bill as well. And so um, we're kind of just working on, like, the framework of it and not the, like, nitty-gritty yeah. Plus, we've never, I mean, Sara here has worked in politics before, um, writing policy, but I have never done anything at all in politics uh, or writing legislation. So to me, this is completely new, and I've relied heavily on just doing research on my own and talking to people in the field. Um, we've made tons of contacts just by sending cold emails and cold calling people, um, but yeah, just learning how to write legislation in and of itself has been a big part of this adventure. Well, it sounds like you've hit the ground running, so that's very impressive. Um, so the event next month, can you talk to us just a little bit about what's planned for that? I know it's not fully a, car a carbon fee and dividend event, but uh, it would be cool to, to hype it. Yeah. So one thing that we've noticed 
while kind of going through this process is that not a lot of people, us included, not a lot of people know about how the utilities in Arizona work. It's like very complicated. <laughs> um, and it works differently here than it does from California, from Washington, from all these other states. So um, figuring out the utilities here in the state have a lot of power and there's special legislative body um, called the Corporation Commission that actually regulates the utilities outside of the state legislature. So how that works, what the connections are between the state legislature and the Corporation Commission, what the connections are between the Corporation Commission and the utilities, and how that affects people um, who buy electricity um, is something that was kind of a knowledge gap. And so I think Sara can talk a little bit more about what we're planning. Yeah, so um, basically, uh you know, there's a lot of energy, you know, we just got Tempe to commit to going 100% renewable, but um, the city of Tempe even said, like, we can't do this on our own. We need the utilities to join us and create the infrastructure for us to be able to do this. Um, however, um, you know, people want to see our state go 100% renewable, but they're not um, exactly aware of who's in control of that. And that is in, um, in large part the Corporate Commission. Um, and so we're gonna have an event about renewable energy and Corporate Commission's kind of role in that. Um, and so uh, it's gonna be on April 6th. Um, and uh, we're gonna get the exact time. Actually, I think it starts at 10 a.m. Um, we'll, we'll have the um, yeah, we'll, event. Yeah, we'll post it to the show notes for the yeah. podcast. So. Yeah, we will. Um, and this is a panel event? Yeah, so uh, we're going to have uh, to uh, Andrew Tobin, who is actually um, currently on the Corporate Commission. Um, and then we're going to have Paul Hurt. He's on the SRP board, which uh, the Corporate Commission runs all the utilities except for the SRP. And, and SRP faculty. Is the Salt River Project. The, yeah. the, it's one of the largest utilities in Arizona. And Paul's also faculty here at... Uh, the school, school of sustainability, sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then uh we're gonna have uh christina um or chris mace um and uh she uh is a republican who used to be on the board who supports renewable energy which board? uh she used to be on the corporate commission i mean uh and so she um these three are kind of going to talk about the kind of regulatory uh frameworks that control renewable energy in Arizona State. And so those of you who are interested in renewable energy and want to know how you can make renewable energy a possibility here in Arizona, this is the type of information you're going to need, so you should show up. And this is going to be here on campus at uh, Wrigley Hall? Mm -hmm. Is that the plan? Yeah. Cool. April 6th. Uh, so look out for that. We'll have information in the show notes. Uh, awesome. So that was super interesting stuff. I think we're going to wrap this up. We are right at about the time we're aiming for. So, um, Sara, Marley, where can people find out more about this project and where can they find you online if you would like to be found online? Yeah, so Sustainable Changemakers. Are we still meeting weekly? The Tuesday. Uh, I'll let you handle that. Okay, so... Um, Sustainable Changemakers has bi-weekly meetings every Tuesday at 10 a.m. in Wrigley Hall. Um, and you can contact me or Sara to get more information about that as, as a, a broader um, organization. We also have a Facebook, at Sustainable Changemakers. 
Um, if you want to find us on Facebook, we post on there about events that we're going to and um, different interesting like news stories and stuff like that. But um, if you're specifically interested in being involved with the Carbon Fee and Dividend, we meet every Friday at 3 p.m. in Wrigley Hall on campus. Um, and we do research, we talk to people, we go out and speak to different legislators. So it's really exciting, lots of time to do research and learn, and that's where you'll find us. Yeah, so um, we definitely are looking for more people who are interested, uh, more people who want to get involved. Uh, you don't need any uh, experience in politics. That's the thing that I think demonstrates. Uh, a lot of people think they need to have all this extra information. This is how you get that information. Right. You, you get in there, you get your hands dirty, and here's a great opportunity yeah. to do so. Uh, and, and like I said, we're, we're always looking for um, more heads to add to, add to our, um, the, the big brain. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you can contact us on uh, Facebook. Um, we, you can message us through there. Um, or uh, you can send me an email at uh, stekola, that's S-T-E-K-O-L-A, at asu.edu. Um, and so, uh, like I said, um, I think one of the big things is, uh, as a sustainability student, uh, sustainability science is, is about, um, is supposed to be solution-oriented. And, and so, uh, if it's not uh, carbon-free or dividend, what are you doing? How are you um, pushing forth the sustainable solutions? Um, and if you're not, well, here's an opportunity to start. Cool. Well, that's the perfect place to leave it off. Thank you both for being on. This was really good and informative. Yeah. Um, so we will be back next month. Uh, this has been the TSR podcast. As always, you can find TSR online at the sustainabilityreview.org. You can follow us on Twitter at TSR Journal, on Facebook at facebook.com slash the sustainability review. Subscribe to our videos on YouTube and follow our Instagram at the sustainability review. And of course, you are already listening to this podcast, but the podcast can be found on our SoundCloud and on iTunes. Marley, as Editor-in-Chief, is there any TSR business that I've missed? Um, that sounds good, Andrew. Thanks for having us on, and I'm uh, looking forward to listening to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess that's going to be it. Thank you, everyone. We will be back next month.